coming from Leviticus chapter 16. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and for his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it as a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. You can be seated. Good morning. Pastor Ben surprised me with that PowerPoint slide today, although I should have expected something. Um, uh, regarding the discrepancy of exactly how old I am, I'll only say this. I look pretty good for 40, I think. So uh, uh, we don't need to go any further than that. That was funny. So the Lord has a pretty strong sense of irony, I think. This morning, I, uh, uh, I woke up a little earlier than intended, or got up a little earlier than intended, because through the night, my stomach and I had been having an argument over an onion blossom from Texas Roadhouse. And uh, uh, at about 2 o'clock, I just kind of called it, I got up, and I started to get ready and everything. And usually, my Sunday mornings are one of my favorite times of the week, because I, I usually get up uh, early. And I, have a, uh, I get ready, I have a devotional time, it's special to me. I come to the church and I, I prepare or practice the, the sermon that I'm going to preach. And, and I decided, since I got up early, I was just going to go ahead and lay back down for a little while. I set my alarm for five, thinking I'd still have plenty of time to, to get ready. And at 7.30, I received a text message uh, that woke me up. And so instead of... Four hours before Sunday school, I had one and a half, which was just not the plan. The irony of that is this. We're talking today about how our time belongs to the Lord. It's not ours to decide what to do with. Our single sentence sermon summary this morning is this. Every single moment is a sacred invitation from Jesus into the rhythm of redemption. Every single moment 
is a sacred invitation from Jesus into the rhythm of redemption. If you're wondering why there isn't a PowerPoint slide for that, you can blame the onion blossom. So nestled in the center of the book, the middle of the book of Leviticus, are instructions for an annual feast called the Day of Atonement. And there is absolutely so much here. One of the most difficult things about preaching through Leviticus that Pastor Ben and I have discovered is that there's not nearly enough time to dig into the meat of what's there in each passage. So briefly, I want to do another plug for our Sunday school class this quarter where we go a little deeper into each of these stories. We had a wonderful discussion today, and I'd just like to encourage you to come and be part of that. So the Day of Atonement. We know from the beginning of the book of Leviticus that there are five different kinds of sacrifices that the Israelites were given in order to repair the relationship that they had with God that had been broken or damaged by sin. But the thing of it is that not every Israelite's sin in rebellion would be covered by those individual sacrifices because some would be overlooked or ignored or forgotten. And remember how we've talked about the, the henchmen of death causing a thing to be unclean, that anything that is kind of associated with death kind of causes a pollution in the camp of Israel. Well, sin is one of those henchmen. Sin is one of the things that makes something unclean. And so there was this, this deathly contamination that would still be all over Israel's camp, and needed to be taken care of so that Israel could dwell alongside the present, God's presence in the tabernacle. And so once a year, the high priest would purify himself, and, and then he would take two goats. One of those goats would become a sin offering for all of Israel. The priest would kill it, and then he would take its blood and spread it around inside the tabernacle. Its blood would purify the tabernacle by covering over or atoning for Israel's sin. Now, it's kind of a weird image, isn't it? It's weird to think about putting blood on something in order to clean it. That's not, a, that's not a way that we clean things today. But Leviticus 17.11 tells us that the life of a creature is in its blood. And so you're spreading life around the tabernacle to counter the contamination of death from Israel's sin. So the goat's life is offered as a substitute. It's, it receives God's punishment for sin so that the people don't have to. Now the other goat was called a scapegoat. The high priest would place his hands on that goat and make confession for all the sins of Israel. And those sins would be symbolically placed on the goat and it would be sent out into the wilderness. And this day is a powerful image of God's desire to remove sin and its consequences from his people so that God can live with them in peace. Now, all of this is just very, very big, and there's so much more here. But the verse I really want to zone in on, I really want to focus on today, is at the end of the chapter. It's verse 34, when the Lord says, This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. Now, if you read a verse like that, as you're going through Leviticus, and, and you just skip by it, I, I want you to know that you're robbing yourself of something. When you read a verse like that, do this once a year, you should ask, why? 
And I think that the answer to that question is huge, and it's important, and it's worth spending some time on today. Was it supposed to be once a year because God needed the cleaning to happen at least once a year? I think that the answer to that is no. So there were actually seven feasts that the Israelites were given. And they're described in chapter 23 of Leviticus. And and here's the thing. None of them were there because God needed them. Each and every one of them was to implant and bury deeply part of the redemption story in Israel's heart. Each feast was connected to a memory. Every year they remembered when God freed them from Egypt. And every year they remembered their suffering as they fled from Pharaoh in the desert. And every year they remembered the joy of God's provision for them, rescuing them from Pharaoh. Every year they remembered the day God appeared to them on Mount Sinai. And every, day, every year they remembered the day that God gave them the tabernacle. And every year they remembered that they lived by the grace and the forgiveness of Yahweh. Each of these seven feasts was part of their redemption story. And each one of them was a regular part of the rhythm of the life of Israel. So why once a year? Why not once a month or once a decade? Imagine being there on the Day of Atonement and knowing that the priest was killing the goat for your sins, for the sins of your family, for the sins of those that are dear to you, for the sins of your people. Imagine the effect that would have on you year after year. You would probably be fasting beforehand. We think that they fasted beforehand and they repented. You would go through in your mind and you would repent of your sins. They would cry out to God and they would confess and they would thank him for his forgiveness. And then they would see the blood of the goat carried into the tabernacle. And they'd see the scapegoat sent off into the wilderness. And imagine that every year for your entire life, there's a day where you see the enactment of God's forgiveness of your sins. The price is paid by another, and another is exiled away from God in your place. And it's not just that holy day. Seven times through the year, there's a day which enacts part of God's redemption and protection of Israel. Imagine the effect of the rhythm of redemption every single year. What would that do to your heart? The festivals show us something very important. They give us a different view of what a calendar is for, of what a year is for. They give us a different view of time. Have you ever thought about time? I don't mean, have you ever thought about how can you use your time more efficiently or how much time will it take you to drive to work? I mean, have you ever thought about how God sees time? He created it, right? Time has a purpose. I've been dwelling on this quite a bit this week on how God views time and and trying to put certain thoughts into words. There's a book, I actually meant to have it with me this morning called Becoming Friends of Time that Pastor Ben recommended to me. It's been just wonderful, and I'd like to recommend it to you. You see, we, we tend to look at a period of time like a day, 
And, and we try to figure out how best to use it. We ask, how much can I get accomplished today? We sort of imagine like the day is laid out before us and it's up to us to squeeze in as much as we can. One of the problems we have then is, is when we run out of time for non-essential things. If it's not related to our work or to our responsibilities or our rest, we tend to have a hard time finding time for it. And so we have things like our devotions that we struggle to find time for. Now we know that they're important, right? And we tell ourselves, if only we had more time, we'd be able to fit them in. But, but secretly, I know all of us, I think all of us know deep down, if, if we're really being honest with ourselves, that if we struggle with this, but we had two extra hours every day, we wouldn't just be adding two hours of time with Jesus. We'd find another way to use them for our responsibilities, for our rest. You see, the problem is that we're trying to fit God into our day. We're trying to add a little bit of him into our day. We see the day is ours, and we try to find time for God to fit into it. And that is idolatry. We are, we are idolaters. We have decided that a thing that belongs to God actually belongs to us. And we give him part of it when we can find time to do so. I want to ask you this question. What if your day wasn't yours? What if it didn't belong to you? What if it was on loan or if it was given as a gift for a purpose by God? What if every hour was the same way? Every day, every week, every month, and every year were gifts given to you by God for a purpose. What would you do differently? If your day really belonged to God, I think that would change everything. Instead of trying to fit God into our schedule, we'd be trying to fit ourselves into what God is doing. We wouldn't have to make time for him because spending time with him would be the fundamental purpose of our day. And I think we'd see ourselves differently too. We tend to think that our value comes from how much we can accomplish. How much can I fit into a work day? How much can I get done in this season? How far have I come this year? We tend to think of ourselves as having value based on what we can accomplish. And that's really hard if you can't accomplish as much as you used to. You see, if we let ourselves fall into this view, we're going to go through a time at some point when we're just not able to do what we did before. And if our value comes from what we can accomplish then we'll wonder what our purpose is. We'll wonder what our value is. One of the things that has struck me this week is that we are all temporarily able-bodied. All of us will be disabled at some point, whether for a short time or long. That's something that all of us will experience. So if our value is based on what we can do, then we're going to struggle when that day comes. But I want to tell you that your value, your importance, it comes 
from something else. If our days and our weeks and our years belong to God, then they're not about accomplishments. God gives each and every moment to us as a sacred opportunity to be formed into his likeness. And that's what every day is, a chance to be made more like him. And it's from him that our value comes. If your value is tied to what you can do in a day, then a time will come when your value diminishes. Instead, you're called to be formed like Jesus. You're called his child to be adopted, the God's child to be adopted into his family by the Spirit. And in that way, it doesn't matter what condition your body is in. Your primary purpose is not to do, it's to be, to be his and to love. Every single moment is a sacred opportunity for transformation. Time plus the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, means that God has given us all that we need to be changed like him. Have you ever noticed how God seems to work slowly? Have you ever been frustrated by that? God, I've asked you to take this temptation and this struggle away from me. God, I've asked you to change me in this way. God, I've asked you to make me better at this. Make me more loving. Give me less of a complaining spirit. And it just takes so long to see any change at all. And sometimes, there's exceptions to this, of course. Sometimes he works in a moment, and those times are gifts, but he tends to work very slowly. We have the power of God within us, and change happens so very slowly. You could say that if time is about productivity, then then God isn't a very good manager of his time, right? But that's not the case at all. There's a pair of verses in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. You're invited to underline them if you would like to. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. God moves slowly, and thank goodness he does, because we need him too. The change in us happens slowly. And God gives us a rhythm to become part of. Have you, ever, have you ever noticed that? Just in the book of Leviticus, he gives a rhythm for the entire life of his people. Every day is governed by the setting and the rising of the sun. Every week has a Sabbath. Every year has seven days set aside specifically for remembering what God has done for his people. There's a rhythm to redemption. There's a slowness to sanctification. And that is a gift from God. Our days belong to him. 
And as long as we view them as things that we have to fill as much as we can and accomplish as much as we can in, we're going to be frustrated as we try to relate to him because we're asking him to fit into something that belongs to us instead of asking him how we can fit into something that belongs to him. So, what in the world does this mean for us here today? When we're talking about time, that doesn't, that doesn't really seem like a very practical thing. I told you at the beginning that this morning was ironic, that God has a strong sense of irony. As I was getting ready to preach a sermon about how it's not about getting done as much as you can in a day, I woke up with less time than I intended to and rushed as fast as I could in an utter panic that nothing was going to go right if I didn't get here by a certain time and do a certain set of things for my Sunday morning. You see, when we think this way, and this is me, this is where I'm at, when we think that everything depends on us, that the most important things in the world depend on us, we forget that the Lord has accomplished everything related to our salvation. And through Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, our salvation is secure. He calls us to place our allegiance in him and then to follow. And he moves very slowly. And what that means is we need to allow ourselves to be paced by him. To ask ourselves every day, what is it that he has called you to? Now that, says, that doesn't mean don't get up and get ready and go to work. That doesn't mean if you're running late, you shouldn't hurry. The things that he's called you to, he's called you to and you should do them. But you shouldn't see the job as something that you do. You should see your job as something he's called you to. It's the activity he set before you today. You shouldn't see your devotions as something that, that you do if you can find time in the morning. If only I could wake up a little earlier or stay awake a little later or so many things didn't come up in the middle of the day. You should see your time with the Lord as the most important part of your day because it belongs and is about him. So how can we put this into practice? I want to challenge you to pick one day each week. Sundays is a good one. And make it the Lord's. We even call Sunday the Lord's Day. It's a good place to start. And I want to challenge you each Sunday for the next several weeks, just as a practice, go to the Lord in prayer in the day and week beforehand and then on Sunday morning and ask, Lord, what do you have for me today? Lord, disrupt my plans today. Lord, help me to see this day as yours. And just see what happens. See what things stop being so important. And see what things you suddenly find time for when you realize that the day doesn't belong to you. And then when you feel like you've got the hang of it, Pick another day and just see how the Lord transforms your life as you come to see your hours and days and weeks and months as not belonging to you, but being given to you as a rhythm of redemption. 
And I want to challenge you this too, to to begin to look at your responsibilities through God's eyes. What is his desire for you? What is it he wants most for you today? And everything that's on that list is what today is about. Everything else is extra. What is it that the Lord desires for you today? And then I want to encourage you for one more thing, and this is for me too. Strive to never say again to yourself that you just can't find time to spend with the Lord. You see, we're called to spend our entire day with Him. Our day is about Him after all. And as we remember that, as we speak to Him throughout the day, when we're called to read His Word, we we make time for that and we do that as well. But strive never to say you just can't find time to spend with Him because He's the one who gave your day to you. And it's about him. Change whatever it is you need to change, but realize that your day is about spending time being changed, encountering him, and everything else comes later. Every single moment is a sacred invitation from Jesus into the rhythm of redemption. If we will do this, if we will give over our moments to him, I just wonder what changes we would see in our own hearts, in our lives, in our church, in our community, as he was made Lord in our heart. Pray with me. Father God, We come before you and we confess. I can only speak for myself here, but I believe it's true of many of us. We are guilty of idolatry. Of seeing the time that you have given us as ours to do with as we wish. Not as a gift for a purpose. Not as belonging to you. And Lord, we ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts to help us see our moments through your eyes. To see the things that you have called us to. To be your hands and feet. To share your gospel and your love with those around us. Help us use every hour, every day, as an opportunity to worship you. We pray all these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.